0: that's been our primary driver of new business. And we're very selective about who we do business with. The software engineers that we have and the team we have, they're in high demand. We don't just go chasing dollars to grow revenue, we go chasing the right dollars.
1: Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist, or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. With me today is Mark Towler, founder and CEO of Phase Two. Founded in 1998 as a spin off from the Rock Island Group, Phase Two builds world class software for large scale enterprises, well funded startups, and more. Mark's personal philosophy is reflected in their why to have a positive impact on the individuals they interact with, customers, coworkers, and the community at large. Mark has worked in the software industry since the late 1980s. In various parts of the country and now lives in in Oklahoma. His signature accomplishment at phase two is creating a culture that attracts and retains an elite group of individuals that create and deliver company-changing software products. Active in leadership roles in many civic organizations in the Oklahoma City area for more than 25 years, Mark is a graduate of Leadership Oklahoma City and Leadership Oklahoma. In 2016, he co-led a group of cyclists on a cross-country bike tour from California to Virginia, to raise funds for Young Life. His hobbies include golf, exercise, traveling, reading, and learning improv comedy. Mark, welcome to the show.
0: I'm super excited to be here, Carol. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. So tell me, uh, let's start a little bit by talking about the spinoff from the Rock Island Group, first off.
0: So the Rock Island Group was a company that my brother started, actually. And in the 90s, uh, the company was doing Wide area networking, they're getting into doing website development work. But what really started them off, they did offsite data storage. And there's a fascinating story about their involvement when the Murrah building blew up or was blown up uh, in 95. And they helped with the disaster recovery for a credit union there. But anyway, the company was diversified into a variety of different technology platforms. I was in California at the time, and my brother was recruiting me to come to Oklahoma to be a part of this sort of cross. Uh, disciplinary technology thing and i would have never thought i would be moving to oklahoma or working for my brother <laughs> but we found out oklahoma city was a great place to raise kids we had three young kids at the time wanted to get closer to family fast forward a couple of years and uh, the business for the rock island group was really growing in the networking space network management services and we had a little small website development team which i had worked in the software industry for about 10 years so we worked out a deal to spin that website development team off as a separate company. Uh, so I brought, I bought that, took it over. There was three of us in the beginning, and that's where phase two came from. So it was a really nice way to get started because we had built-in clients. Uh, you know, we just literally rolled our desks to one end of this office space, and that's how we started. So, you know, in terms of getting started, it was pretty seamless, Um and so that's how, we, that's how we got going. We got started with a few clients to start with and a handful of people and kind of built it from there.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's where you started. And tell me about your journey to where you are now with the company and, and what you're selling.
0: So we started off doing a lot of website development work. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of people were doing that. So we had sure. good, healthy competition in the market. Uh, but it was an easy business to get into a harder business to stay into or stay in. And especially after the dot com implosion and after the y two k spending and after nine eleven, we went through a period just like everybody else in our industry where I mean, we were literally this close to shutting down. Um, and it it, it was we, I was actually trying to sell the business to an ad agency who might want to do interactive work, and thankfully they declined. and not long after that, our business started to pick up again. So, a few more years later we decided to uh get rid of doing all the small website development work and really focus on what was our core dna which was you know heavier software engineering projects so about eight years ago nine years ago we made the decision to spin off the website or sell sell off the the sort of the website type business and really focus on custom programming and that's been a really good decision for us Mm -hmm. so we have a much smaller base of clients, but they're all very—they're they're large clients that can spend a significant amount of money every year, at least what's significant for us. Right. And so now we've got six customers, and uh, we do a lot of long-term contract work for them. And what we found is that if you do good work on the initial phase of a project or implementation, especially in the custom software world, there's always more work to be done. And mm-hmm. and so we. We really have a philosophy that we have to earn every dollar, obviously, like mm-hmm. anybody does. But the retention for us is really a function of what our team does for building good quality software, mm-hmm. focusing on the right problems for our clients. So that that philosophy is still there. This is mm-hmm. our client base is narrowed and, and the size of what we do has gotten larger.
1: Yeah. Well, kind of the land and expand model, right? um yeah
0: and you know we actually we actually took a little side trip in like 2005 2006 and we actually bought a small ad agency thinking oh we're going to combine those and we realized about a year later that that's not our core competency software engineering was our core competency so it's one of those things we tried it 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 didn't work but it really did point out for us that what we were really good at it's one of those stick to your knitting things Mm -hmm. let's stick to and stay in your lane focus on yeah. Exactly. And where we can differentiate ourselves right. as well. We, yeah. we found that, you know, we could really do this really well. And, and we have a term,
2: mm-hmm. we want
0: to do the heavy lifting, we want to go after the more complex kind of projects. And that mm-hmm. requires, you know, a very, you know, really excellent software engineering talent. And we found out yeah, doing, doing website work and or being in the ad agency business, that's They're great businesses, but it's not the business for us. Exactly.
1: No, I, I, listen, I totally get that. I think that too often people want to, want to try to be, you know, all things to all people. And it's just really smarter to stay in your own lane. You know, I mean, we've seen that with Amazon and now they're closing Whole Foods, a number of, not, not the whole thing, but I think, you know, they thought that, and I'm just, I mean, I'm just, you know, projecting here. I don't really know, but they probably thought they, well, you know, we'll build this. We can be all things to all people. and, And that's just not possible you know, you just can't. I think it was a
2: good,
0: yeah, it, it was a good lesson for us to learn. You know, you read it, write, right? You hear about it.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and hopefully your listeners maybe can take this, but, but going to that experience, it was right. really burned into us that it's just, you know, we, we figured out what we were good at and what mm-hmm. we could differentiate ourselves as and where we could add more value to our clients. Yeah, And, and we were comfortable at that point saying, no, we're not going to do this. And we're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I've always had a philosophy too that if you say no to the right things, it makes it easier to say yes to the right
1: things. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that a little bit later on in the in the show. You mentioned, Mark, that uh, you there was a time where you weren't sure if you were going to make it. Why was that?
0: So, you know, after Y2K, there had been a lot of spending on technology uh, after the dot com bust, and we were never a dot com kind of you know uh, outside funded company, but a lot of those companies that did go out of business there was a lot of technical talent on the street right and a lack of demand had been a lot of spending in y2k and then after 9 11 the recession so all these things kind of became a perfect storm where there's a whole lot of people that uh, were out on their own trying to scramble to to make a buck and here we are with a cross disciplinary uh, software development website development team and there just wasn't a lot of work and so I had some mentors of mine tell me, Mark, you're in a good business. It's just a really bad time right now. And if you can get through the tough period on the other side of that, you'll have fewer competitors and your margins will improve. And as painful as it was to go through that process, they were absolutely correct. And so we were able to get through that period. And and a lot of the folks that were really good competitors of ours, they they didn't make it and they went into other industries. But we made it work. And then when we came out of the other side and business started to improve again, uh, again, you know, that's, that's, that was a period where we started to re, not re, well yeah, rebuild, build back mm-hmm. up again. And uh, so it was, but it was touch and go there for a little bit. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Carol, it was interesting because it's actually, like I said, at the time, it just sucked, Yeah, you know, there's no way around it. But yeah. in hindsight, we were, you know, uh, four years old as a company. And every issue we face since then, it's been burned into us that, you know what, at least we're not one conversation away from shutting down the business. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it gave us, in hindsight, it gave us a real sense Mm -hmm. of perspective about, oh, we've got a personnel issue. We've got a cash flow issue. We've got a client that's upset. But at least we're not one conversation away from shutting Mm -hmm. down the business. So yeah. I hated it at the time it was it was not fun obviously but it really was a good experience for us to put things in perspective and to provide a little bit of I don't know if grip is the right word but a little bit of self-confidence that we can mm-hmm. overcome challenges and that was really important in a, as a young company as you know uh, all of us were in our 30s or 20s and and so it was a good lesson to learn early that we can overcome things and not to get freaked out but and, and every future challenge after that was just, eh, it's another challenge. Let's just figure our way out through it.
1: Right. So, Mark, you're bootstrapped and privately held. Has, has Did you ever have a thought of taking outside investment?
0: Not really. And part of that's because the 10 years I spent in Northern California before moving to Oklahoma were all with venture-backed software companies, none of which you've ever heard of, but all of which had plans to take over the world. <laughs> and so for me, you know... I. I have great admiration for people that are going to take on outside money and try to hit the home run and i was in several companies that tried to do that over 10 years but when i moved here some of it was just my you know young family i didn't want to make those kind of sacrifices and part of it wasn't the kind of business i wanted to own and run so yeah i've had experience being around you know companies that use capital outside capital but for us it was just like that's not really our thing and it's all customer funded growth and uh so we did spin off another company a couple of years ago based on some projects we were working on. And, and we've resisted the temptation there to take on outside capital as well. And I think what we've learned is it gives us more control. But again, that's our journey. Other people that I have great respect for here locally and, and people I've worked with in the past, they're very comfortable taking on capital. They're going to try to you know go big. And that's great. It's just not it wasn't Not for, for us. Yeah. yeah, And I, th- I think that's, you know, we have to be true to who we are.
1: Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. So you're building, you're building, you know, applications and software for, for, as you said, you know, enterprises as well as, as you say, well-funded startups. I've always sort of been curious about this. Why do companies outsource this rather than hiring people to do this themselves?
0: So one thing that we found over the years is that our team of software engineers and designers and database experts can, the, the type of folks that we attract, they don't want to be doing the same thing year after year. And they like the challenge of solving new problems, either new problems in different industries or new problems with existing customers. And so they're not happy in, a, in an environment where they're just, you know, care and feeding and maintaining existing mm-hmm. systems. And as a consultancy, we can go after and our clients look for us to bring some innovation and some new ways of thinking to problems. And so it gives our team the opportunity to not get stagnant. Mm-hmm. And if they had worked for a big company, you know, they would eventually just sort of fall into you know um, a, a status where they're probably not going to grow and be challenged in the way they want to. So I think for us, it's a way to – our clients look to us because we do have innovative thinkers You know, what we do in a manufacturing client, we can then transfer to maybe somebody in the convenience store space or to a services business because we're thinking differently. Because ultimately, it's all ones and zeros, right? Data comes in, it gets processed, and data gets put out. It's obviously more complex than that. But the way we solve a problem for one industry or one client in one industry, we can then adapt it to somebody else. But I think the variety of what we do, the variety of challenges we get to face, and the variety of unique problems we get to solve really is important for our team and our clients recognize that unlike their own internal staff, they can depend on us to provide that kind of guide or provide that level of, um, innovative thinking about problems that, you know, when you're in something, you're in a, you know, you get in your tunnel, sometimes it's hard to come out of it, but we bring a different perspective to every, every engagement.
1: Yeah. That's really great because I, you know, I frequently wonder why companies don't outsource more things, right. To consultants who look in a way, Look at your, you know, your problems in a way that you probably can't look at them, because you're either living in a blind spot, you're too emotionally attached yeah. to it, any number of things.
0: And so, you know, we don't have a whole lot of outside vendors for us, but we don't do our own payroll processing. We use outside payroll companies because they're experts. Well, they've got should. that's right. They've got efficiency. That's yeah. Right. Marketing. You know, we we for a long time we outsourced our marketing. and Now we've grown big enough where we have our own internal team. But that was a function of scale and the opportunity to do that. But yeah, I'm a big fan of outsourcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we obviously benefit from that with our clients,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I think the reason they keep using us is because we're bringing something to the table that either they can't hire the right team of people, or they know that their team of people is going to be focused on one thing, and we can bring a different element to it. So. Yeah,
1: that's great. So speaking of marketing, that's pretty much where you cut your teeth. Um, and when you were at uh at Rock Island Group working working with your brother. You were the head of marketing, and right. you also co-founded a company uh, in the oil and gas business, which is, shouldn't be a surprise for anybody who you know knows anything about Oklahoma, yeah. right. um, just about eight years ago. So I- I'm curious about a couple of things. One, like how involved you are with that, leading another company. And right. the second piece of that is you're a first-time CEO. Right. Right. Um, so, so those are two different questions, uh, but you're doing one while you're doing the other, which is interesting. Yeah, so the the other company is called Well,
0: and it, it came about because we were doing some custom programming for some people who were in the uh, directional drilling space and okay. writing software for them to be more operationally efficient in drilling mm-hmm. wells. And what we found was the client we were working with we had other customers in that space that had found us because of what we'd done for this one particular client and we were going to be solving the same problems so we worked out a deal to retain the intellectual property with the opportunity to commercialize it while still doing custom work for exist or for different customers because we saw the same problems being solved and so spending it off as a separate company was a decision for a couple things one at the time, we thought, oh, this has, a, this has the opportunity to scale. And in doing so, we gave our team opportunities to move into different positions and to help grow a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. And so I did help co-found it, but I really didn't – I wasn't as involved in running it. And part of that was because we wanted to have opportunities for other people to grow in their career and take on some ownership and drive that business. And so involved more from a uh, – not as hands-on direct CEO role – I let some other people do that or they were better at it anyway and more focused on it. So, you know, that still involved. My lane is more on the finance side for that Got company. Mm-hmm. And I don't say involved. I'm not as involved in the operational aspects of it. But again, like I said, it was, it was a great opportunity for our long-term engineers to have equity in something and help grow something uh, for new people to come in. And so we thought now we're going to have one company that's focused on trying to grow and be a SaaS-based business. We got phase two as a services-based business, and by having both of those, we could play off of each other. So the Drakewell Company has just had some challenges in the oil and gas space. It's a it's an industry that's slower to adopt technology. <laughs> so what we've been able to do though is is use some of our Drakewell engineering talent doing phase two work when we needed to, and use phase two design resources and some development app- opportunities when Drakewell needed some extra help. So instead of going all in on one or the other, we're able to have complementary kind of, but different style businesses, but the ability to exchange resources back and forth. So that's been, I don't know that we set out to do that on purpose, but what's happened is we've been able to move people around as, as demands grew in one area or shrunk in the other or vice versa.
1: Got it. So first time CEO, tell me tell me a little bit about some of the mistakes and challenges you've encountered. And, and- you know, wow. what we've done about them. And,
0: <laughs> yeah. So we've got there's six Two, hours, more, two right? more
1: to tell me about. Yeah. Right. I'm sure there's too many to tell me about, but pick the top. Uh, but you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. So th- we mentioned one earlier, you know, when we bought that ad agency, mm-hmm. that was, it was a mistake, okay. but it was a learning. I mean, it's a learning experience. Yep. And like we talked about it, it, it taught us that, Hey, this is where we're really good. And this is areas we need to avoid. So that was one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Another one. And this, you know, we, we've got a, a set of cultural rules. We call the phase two rules. Mm-hmm. And about two years after we started the company, and, and so these cultural rules are all about anecdotes that actually happened, that are basically, you know, our philosophy about running the mm-hmm. business. And a couple of years after we started uh, phase two, we had a, a couple of guys come to us. They were, again, this was back in the early website days. They had a, an interesting idea. And what they wanted us to build was right in our wheelhouse, our sweet spot of, it was workflow, it was security, it was design, it was application programming, mm-hmm. it was all the things that we knew we could do and challenge our team. But there was something about these two individuals that just didn't sit right. And we weren't sure what it was, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: we were young, you know, a couple years in the mm-hmm. business and we were growing we were growing and having success. Yeah. About, oh you we're want, gonna take some. You this want project to make some on. money. So yeah. Yeah. And so what happened was that the the work product part of it was not the challenge. Uh, We had a challenge with the ethical standards and moral uh, Mm -hmm. principles of the people Mm -hmm. we were dealing with. And that's what our little voice was telling us. So after several months, we realized this is not going to be a good long-term fit for us. So we did our best to elegantly disengage and we did. And afterwards, we're doing a little, you know, after action review and talking about it. And uh, my original business partner was a software engineer, software architect. Slash rodeo cowboy from southeast Oklahoma, <laughs> a unique combination. Yeah. And we're sitting around. He's like, "Well, you know, boys, life's too short to pick an ugly dance partner." And that became our fifth phase two rule. Right. And so the mis- the mistake was not listening to that little voice inside of us. Mm-hmm. But what we learned from it is to be careful about who you choose as a client, as a mm-hmm. team member, as a partner. Yep. And when you realize you're dancing with the wrong partner, Mm
1: -hmm. make
0: that decision. And so we've used that vernacular Mm -hmm. when we have a client engagement where, you know, it's not about, we have challenging clients and that's fine. But when we have a mismatch, whether it's an ethical or moral mismatch or what the client needs and what we provide is just fundamentally different, they might be great people. But let's call it what it is, and so that's used. That's been really helpful for us to be able to say, "Hey, is this an ugly dance partner?" And if so, let's fire the client or disengage because uh-huh. we're just not a good fit. Yeah. And that happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So I think the lesson we learned from that was let's listen to that little voice inside that says this This isn't really a good mm-hmm. fit for us."
1: Right. So and I'm so glad to, you know, Go on. Good. I, I say, I'm well, really I was just glad say you we, brought that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that was one of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about specifically. And, and uh, you know, is it, is it just as simple, Mark, as eh, we didn't have a great feeling about it um, or was part of it, you know, we're a small business, we really could use the cash? So because that's, that's not a, uncommon you know, I- with small consultancies.
0: Well, we're starting off. We're a couple years old. We're growing, right. and again, there was a, there was a certain amount of ego on our decision that oh, we can overcome whatever this voice is that's telling us this yeah. is not a good fit because you know we're young, we're smart, mm-hmm. we're aggressive, we're yeah, we're, we're doing all these things. So some of it was, I guess, hubris. Yeah, but well, yeah, again, like I said, what we've learned from it, and sometimes, like I said, we've had one we had one client that large client, national brand, and over time, what they needed and what we provided diverged to the point that it wasn't a good fit for our team. And so that's another one where we said, look, this isn't a good fit. And we parted ways and we did it, again, I think very above board, very elegantly. And I'll tell you what's interesting about that is that one of the one of the people at that client two years later ended up at the state of Oklahoma. And he reached out to us because he got hired in right after the pandemic started. And the unemployment commission here in Oklahoma, like the unemployment offices across the country, was completely overwhelmed. overwhelmed yeah, Very right. old systems. Yeah, he was brought in to help with that. And on day two, he called his second day at work there. And yeah, this is a a senior guy at a client that we disengaged with intentionally. He called us on his second day, and we had a contract on his third day of work. On the fourth day of work, we were doing some emergency wow. uh, software development. Mm-hmm. So listening to our inner voice or in this particular case, yeah. it just wasn't a good fit anymore, but disengaging in a way that it was no hard feelings. We parted mm-hmm. friends and it, again, good people, just not the right fit for us mm-hmm. b- came back to be very beneficial to us. I yeah. think there's something about treat, treating, people well, no matter what the circumstances, that, Amen, that's a good brother. lesson there.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. So I am, am constantly spammed via email and LinkedIn with companies you know, spamming me and pitching me on application development services. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about the competitive nature of your business. Cause it seems like these people are everywhere and you know, where you fit in and how you go about really rise, you know, being the cream and rising to the top. You know, we
0: we've tried being uh, proactive in our outbound business development.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, We've, We've tried various things for phase two. Now, Drakewell is a different, different yeah. business model. There's a, there's a finite audience. Mm-hmm. they are known mm-hmm. entities. There's only so many. So, right. so we can be really focused on our outbound marketing mm-hmm. efforts there. But for phase two, as a software development consultancy that's a services-based business, it's all referrals and relationships. Yeah. And again, the example I just mentioned about this gentleman who used to work for the, the, the company that we mm-hmm. disengage with. When he moved over to the state, he called us because he knew the work we could do. He knew the quality of what we did. And so it's not that we've given up on marketing, but we we really don't have an outbound sales force. I get it. And we are, yeah, it's a very, it's, you know, there's lots of businesses that are referral driven and that's what's driven our business. You know, it's, you know, people do business with people they know and like. And so we've tried to maintain, you know, visibility in the community, but yeah it's hard to go especially for what we do it's hard to go find someone who's like hey i'm in the i'm in the mode now where i need some custom development it's got to be hey i could use some help here who do i talk to and hopefully phase 2 is top of mind and so that's been that's been our primary driver of new business is uh, and we're very selective about who we do business with because the software engineers that we have and the team we have they're they're in high demand
2: yeah, you want to keep right. them
0: for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm. And the
0: last thing we want to do is put them in a position to work on projects that don't stimulate them intellectually, that don't challenge them technically. And so we say no to a lot of business because it just wouldn't be a good fit for mm-hmm. our team. And we lose the team and we lose everything. So mm-hmm. I'm very happy with – we've got lots of longevity with our team. And I think it's because we don't – just go chasing dollars to grow revenue we go chasing the right dollars
1: yeah Yeah. well good and that that leads me that leads me uh into you know you've got about 50 employees now um what is what does that 50 employees look like i mean the x percentage are software engineers x percentage is this you know what is that what does your org chart look like
0: so you know I'd say probably five people are in executive administrative type of roles, you know, marketing, uh, office management, executive roles. Everybody else is in some form of production. And the vast majority of that is around software engineering, software development. Within that you've mm-hmm. got project managers yeah. and, and a role we call a product owner who really understands mm-hmm. the technical vision, the right. business needs. Some people call it a software architect. There's that kind of role. There's a, So they're, Slash account management, slash technical leads. Then we've got project management. Then we got software development team that is very diverse. We've got senior engineers, and people have different uh, focus on different stacks, different development stacks. And we've got some design capabilities. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of people on our design team. So, but the vast majority of the company is focused on the. Uh, revenue generating services and production services around building software initiatives, mm-hmm. and and everything else we everything else we outsource.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I I outsource a huge amount of my of my work because I just you know, yeah. I I really firmly believe in letting the experts do what the experts do and staying in my own lane. Yep, right. Yep. Uh, that's a good um, that's a good philosophy. Here. Yeah, well, and and, and I think yeah. a lot of consultants don't understand that. it's, it's I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation though. So I don't want to get off track. Yeah, I, so so tell me a little bit yeah. about uh your talent strategy Mark and you know where you've seen challenges. And you know you already said, you know we have great retention rates. So, you know, how long does an average, you know, engineer software engineer stay with
0: you? So, you know, the the ones that we want to keep and this is, you know, yeah. we we've got a very thorough hiring process. Okay. And we but we miss sometimes and what we've learned, you know that whole, you know, hire slow, fire fast kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I hate the word fire, but it's like, look, this isn't a good fit. And we missed, and that happens. But for those that, so we have sort of this two years ago after the pandemic hit, uh, we've experienced a lot of growth. So we've doubled in size since then. So the folks that were with us two years, I'd say on average, uh, those folks have been with us eight to 10 years right now.
1: Fantastic.
0: And now we've got a lot, you know, if you looked at our average um, uh, life cycle, life Mm -hmm. tenure, thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, The average tenure, it's been brought down quite a bit because half the company has been hired in the past twenty-four well, months. of course. But for the but for the people that were here before the pandemic, like I said, we've got we've got some people here that have been here twenty years. I've mm-hmm. started in ninety-eight. We've got some folks that have been here fifteen years and eighteen years. And mm-hmm. so again, I think part of that is the recognition that these are really high-demand people, mm-hmm. and if you create the environment where they feel like they can. Mm -hmm. spread their wings and do the things they like to do and do it with the people they like to do and be challenged by not only the coworkers, but by the work we bring in, it's a good, comfortable place for them. They like that. And it's not, it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, the the long-term retention is our goal. And I think we've had a good track record. The last couple of years we've had more turnover just because the pace that we've had to hire at to react, especially to the needs of our uh, state of Oklahoma and all around the unemployment thing. That's, You know, you mentioned earlier the the why of phase two about having a positive impact on our customers, our coworkers, and our community. The the work we did with the state and continue to do with the state. I was so proud of our team because we had just started working remotely because of the pandemic. Right. About three weeks later, we get the call from the state of Oklahoma. They became our largest client almost literally overnight. So our team had to adapt to working remotely, Mm -hmm. which they did marvelously. Then they had to jump into a, a dumpster fire where <laughs> our fellow citizens, you know, not just in Oklahoma but around the country, but the, the folks we could affect directly who needed unemployment, mm-hmm. the, the benefits that the unemployment office would provide, they couldn't get in the front door.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so when we got that call from the gentleman that used to be a client of ours, and we got our team, got a team put together very quickly. Yeah, you know, that those first 34, 30 or forty-five days, looking at our daily time sheets and our daily billing we had team members working every day, weekends, Mother's Day. Um, yeah. And it was not uncommon to see multiple 12, 14-hour days being logged as our team got into that work. And that's not our model is to ask people to work long hours like mm-hmm. that. In fact, it was their decision to say, hey, there's a yeah. huge need here. And they recognized that, again, that this is really cool because without us saying anything from a leadership perspective, our team realized that, what we talk about every month in our monthly meetings about why we're here, this was a prime example to live out that why. So, without us having to really ask, our team dug in. And it was just, it was so much fun as a, as a from my chair to watch our team respond yeah. and dig in and do the work, not because they were being, you know, tasked to do it, but because they realized there was such a huge need. And that's you know the state appreciated. So we've we've gotten more opportunities with the state of Oklahoma, so it's been a, it was just a really fun uh, and, and very satisfying thing to see our team respond that way.
1: Right. So so you've had some great retention. Did you actually go and say to you, communicate to your employees, hey, what is it that you need from us to keep you here?
0: So we don't have a true, I guess, annual review process. What we started doing uh, probably about eight years ago is we realized that we didn't have any kind of an annual review process. So what we did was we started this thing where once a year, you know, on, on your anniversary, we'd say, okay, Carol, let's sit down and we're gonna sit down with you and, and a couple of the leaders from the leadership team. And we're gonna ask you a couple of questions. And it's a whole, what are we doing mm-hmm. from your perspective, no matter how long you've been here, what your background mm-hmm. is, what are we doing from your perspective that we should keep doing? Mm-hmm. Where the, what are the things we should get better at or start doing? And what are the things we should stop doing? Right. And then let's also talk about compensation and what's important to Carol. right? Because we're a small business. We can adapt to what people,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know, for most people, obviously salary, especially young folks with no family, salary is important. But as they start to have kids, flexibility in their schedule is important. Time mm-hmm. off is important.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so once a year we're touching everybody in a very – I hate to say touching it in an intimate fashion. That's going to sound really bad. But you know what I'm saying? We have yeah. an off-site. We, yeah, we go off-site and we ask that question. We have a dialogue. And so there's not like KPIs or anything. It's like, hey, let's have a conversation. What's important mm-hmm. to you? What are we doing well? And what's fascinating about doing that and doing it consistently over the years is that it helps us. I'll tell you what happens is you know people will say, hey, you know, we have this dialogue and, and In the second half of this meeting, they'll say, You know, there was one other thing I wanted to bring up, but I don't think it's a big deal. And that's when my ears perk up because a little thing is either a canary in the coal mine of something we want to catch and fix or an opportunity to do something that we hadn't thought about. That's right. And so I always, when we do these meetings, I always preface with just that example. It's like, Wait, when you have that little voice telling you, you're not sure you'd bring it up, bring it up. Mm -hmm. And so I think our team feels listened to and we tell them, Look, we can't respond to everything, but we'll listen. Mm-hmm. And invariably what happens is you start to detect patterns or you start to see an opportunity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's one of those things, you know, and we talk about this a lot too internally, it's the small things, the small incremental improvements applied consistently, right. consistently over time mm-hmm. make a huge impact. So we're not looking for quantum leap changes. We're looking for what are the little things we can keep improving on continuously. And I think that's how you build, a, uh, at least for us, a mm-hmm. company that has a long-term retention is sustainable and, and becomes something that it's a self-fulfilling thing because people like to be heard. They like to have input. And when they see that their input's being listened to,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it helps them stay here longer and, and provide more input. And so mm-hmm. we've got this thing, you know, going really well where people feel like their voice matters and it is a genuine question. What can we help That's you right. with? What can we do for you? I had one guy tell us once he was, they were about to start a family, and he's like, you know, I'd really like to take three or four weeks off to go to Europe before we start our family. It's like, mm-hmm. great. If that's a form of compensation for you, it's mm-hmm. good to know that because now what we need to do over the next eight or nine months is make sure that we are planning for your absence right? so that you can go do that. Right. And he's one, he's one of our guys that's been here 15 years.
1: Yeah. So one of your five uh, cultural mantras uh, you say is for us to communicate effectively with everyone, whether our employees, to clients, to prospects, we need to communicate in a way that absolutely cannot be misunderstood, which is really what you you just partially described would you yeah. would you there's two things in here for me. One is, would you define your culture is a culture of feedback, as in anyone can say anything to a superior and not be worried about losing a job or getting thrown under a bus. And two, tell me about how you've learned to communicate in a really effective way. Yeah, I'd say on that
0: first point, I I would would hope that's exactly the kind of culture we have. Mm -hmm. And I think it stems from, I hate to say it stems from the top, but it does because I'm prone to making mistakes
2: well, we are. and
0: I don't mind owning up to them in front of the team. Say, hey, mm-hmm. I, I, I did this poorly or I could have done Fantastic. better. Mm-hmm. And so because I, it, I tell you what, it happened just the past couple of weeks. Uh, long story, but we had a, an issue with our CPA and it was, it was me who misunderstood some communication from a couple of months ago. And I was I don't rant or rave, but I was like, hey, I'm kind of upset by this. And let's let's try to fix this. And then as we had this dialogue, I realized, oh, that was me. And so (laughs) I sent an email apologizing to our CPA and the the folks on our team, the folks on his team saying that was my fault. And I think what that does is it. Well, first of all, it's authentic. It's who we are. I'm not going to hide behind. And I don't expect our team to hide behind. We make Mm -hmm. mistakes. And again, I think those one-on-one sessions we do with our team every year, it invites feedback and it invites them to be open. And we expect and we tell them it's all confidential unless you tell us it's okay to share. That's right. We want that feedback.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: And for me personally, I guess, you know, what I learned, I can't program. I can't write code. It's interesting. I run the software development company. But what comes with that is a couple of things. One, I've got to depend on people I trust. but. I need to be able to communicate complex things, technical things, at least in the early days, especially when I was more involved with clients. I need to be able to communicate complex things in a way our customers understood, or we as a company had to do that. So if our software engineers couldn't communicate to me, a non-technical from a programming point of view person, what's going on, then why on earth would we think our clients would understand it? And we really talked about the you know, we can get caught up in technical jargon very easily because it's, it, it's a technical-driven business. There's all sorts of three-letter acronyms. We could sound very smart and confuse the heck out of our clients. So we really had to make and this kind of an ongoing communication yeah. internally that we have to communicate, again, in ways so we're not misunderstood.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's so hard. And, and what it does, it places, that, places the emphasis of communication on us, the communicator, not on the recipient of the communication. Yeah, And so I think it's That's just a right. matter of like you, we got to be careful because we know what we're mm-hmm. talking about. And, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, finance is more my lane. Except when I screw up stuff with our CPA. Yeah. But I could sit here and talk about our company from a financial point of view with a software engineer in ways that make perfect sense. You know, yeah. and I'm not a uh-huh. yeah. CFO, but, mm-hmm. you know, that I could talk about things financially that would be very confusing. And so I've used that example before. It's like I could describe our business this way. And it wouldn't make any sense. Or I could just tell you, hey, this is how much money came in. This is, you know, it's not to be, uh, um, not to treat them like, you know, uh, incapable of understanding complex mm-hmm. financial things, but that's not their, that's not their lane. Right.
2: So right. let's
0: communicate in a way that our team, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, Carol, I would tell you that I believe that our, so our, our team across the board understands business finances better than some business owners do because they're so focused on doing what they do. Now that's not across the board, but we talk about, we show our financials every month. We talk about the P and L. We talk about how the sausage is made. We talk about where things are going well, where things aren't going well. Why are certain numbers out of, out of whack? Why are they doing well? What's the story behind the numbers? And so they, and again, it's about educating and communicating in ways that our team understands. And so if we do that internally, we dang sure should be doing that for our clients externally.
1: Yeah, that's terrific. Um, would you consider yourself a lifestyle company, Mark?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're not trying to grow and go public. Yeah. In fact, I, I would. I would love nothing more than when my days on this earth are gone, phase two continues on, and the yeah. culture we established. You know, the, the software tools we use today are different than five years ago, ten years mm-hmm. ago. But the process is fundamentally the same. The way Mm -hmm. we treat people should be the Mm -hmm. same. The the focus Mm -hmm. on solving the most complex problems first should be the same. So I would love nothing more than phase two outlive me and maintain some of the cultural foundational Mm -hmm. uh, pieces that that I think can apply no matter what's going on Mm -hmm. with software technology tools and or the world at large. So, yeah, definitely a lifestyle company.
1: And, and, you know, there's not, listen, you, 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 I always say there's an ask for every seat, right? <laughs> so, right. you know, the person who works for a lifestyle company is going to be happy working for Netflix or Amazon. Exactly. Right. There was just an article in Business Insider yesterday um, from somebody, I can't remember, I haven't read the whole article yet, but uh, about a guy, the, guy, the guy from Netflix who left his $450,000 job at Netflix because it just wasn't interesting him anymore right, so i th- I think people yeah. are really, really realizing that I mean it's great if you want to go to a big growing company and you know that's venture capitalized and you know may go public or may get sold, and you know you make a ton of money on the stock, that's great, um and yeah. if you want to go to a for a lifestyle company, that's great, just be clear about what it is you want to do because people aren't always clear about that,
0: and I think that's really important yeah, excuse me, so again, like I started off, I admire those companies that are taking on the capital they're trying to grow. And I have a great deal of respect for people who want to get on that train. I've done that. And it's just not for me. So we are very clear with with team members when we're going through the interview process that this is, this is who we are. This is how we're wired. And if, if you're looking for a really high growth, you know, opportunity for an exit, that's mm-hmm. probably
2: not here.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, right. You no, know, we're going to treat you well. We're going to compensate you well. It's going very family friendly environment. I, I know that sounds like a cliche, but that's part of our culture too. It's like, we want you to have a healthy work life balance. In fact, we're going to mm. force it on you. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be a workaholic, you're probably not going to be a good fit here. You're probably going to be it's like you said, you're you're probably best suited for a different seat somewhere else. Yeah. And god love you. I am a champion of that, mm-hmm. but not for us. So we I believe it's very important like you said to know who you are, be authentic, be very clear about that. And we are. We we know who we're trying to be. Inspective we, we know what to say no to, we know what to say yes to and hyper growth with outside capital that's not us it's not bad it's just not for us and to try to pretend it is is going to be a mismatch and it's not going to work so we don't do it and that's not who we are
1: what if uh what if anything well what would you say is the most outdated advice in your industry if there is any
2: (laughs) the most
0: outdated advice that's a heck of a good question um you stumped me on that one i don't, okay. I don't know what you
1: don't have an the answer, most you don't outdated have an answer that's okay yeah
0: i really don't that's a oh. it's a great question now i'm going uh, to contemplate
1: right. um, <laughs> is there anything mark that kind of bothers you about the industry
0: you know in the early days and it still happens um people would hire companies like ours to write software and it wasn't clear who owned the intellectual property and so mm. You would hire us to write some programming. Yeah. We would deliver it to you. And then you'd say, Hey, listen, we're gonna move on and have somebody else continue the work. And we'd be like, and not us, but companies like ours are like, Oh, sorry, Carol, you paid us, but you don't own the code. We own the code.
2: Yeah.
0: And it gave our industry, at least the custom software programming industry. it tarnished things. And so we're very clear about who owns the intellectual property Mm -hmm. with our clients. Mm -hmm. Um, If we want to jointly own some things, we're very clear about that. But I think that's one of the things I don't know. It's, it's big of a deal as it used to be, but in the early days, it was one of those things where like, that's just, that's just not good business. It's not clear communication. It's, it feels like bait and switch. And so um, that, that's always, that's one part of the industry that bugged me, the custom software programming industry is that, you pay me to write it, then all of a sudden, like, nope, sorry, I own it. Um, <laughs> if we didn't negotiate that up front, or be, it, it's a, it, and again, that's on us. I think yeah. that, that's on, that's on us to they may own the license for it, but yeah, right. Right. Um, yeah, you can use it, but you can't modify it. Or, right. You know, yeah.
1: Who is your ideal client, and what makes them ideal?
0: So for us, it's a large enough client that can keep a team, of, you know, from a financial side, it's a large enough client that can keep a team of three or four programmers busy for a year plus because... Mm. There's a lot of efficiency that comes when we put a team of people on something and they're really digging in. They're not context switching from one right. project to the other or one client to the other. So that's part of it. A client that also is willing to yeah, partner is an overused word, but they can, we talked about outsourcing, that would look to us as somebody who knows what we're doing. We have their best interests at heart because if we take care of them, they'll keep coming back again and again. And that's been proven over and over again. But if they're not willing to let us sort of, be a part of what are their big issues, what are their big items they're dealing with and let us not only listen to, but also contribute to ways to solve that problem, then they're not going to be a good client. So there's that psychographic element of that they're not that we're going to lead them, but they're willing to let us participate in where they're going and take our advice. Because we're not always right, but we have a lot more experience in building custom programming that solves hard problems than they do, otherwise they wouldn't be talking to us. So. I'll go back to that company that we ended up splitting from, the large brand that's here locally. They wanted ultimately to tell us how to do things. We're like, guys, we know what we're doing. And if we followed your advice, we wouldn't be in the business we're in. So that's what led to the separation with that company. And they respected that. So the ideal client for us is willing to listen. You know, we, let us come alongside. Let us help them solve the problems because ultimately we recognize that if we're solving your problems and we're doing it consistently – That's how we have our client. Again, the state of Oklahoma for us is a client that's been with us a little bit over two years now, Mm -hmm. everybody else has been with us eight to 10 years. Right. Got it. And, and again, there's it's self-serving because if we do this right, there's always the next problem to solve. And I don't want to go back and resolve a problem we solved two years ago. That's how you get fired. But if we do what we're doing well, we'll build quality stuff and we solve the right problems. there's There's going to be another issue. There's going to be another issue. There's going to be another issue. And if we're, Doing the things the right way, with the obvious first choice. So, yeah, got um, it. The ideal client, like I said, can, is large enough to keep a team busy and lets us help lead them.
1: Got it. So, uh, when I introduced you, I mentioned um, a couple of things about what you what you do on your in your free time, and I'm a little bit I'm curious to know about the um, the bike trip you led from California to Virginia for Young Life and what Young Life is.
0: So Young Life is a, a Christian group, non-denominational Christian group that does outreach to unchurched high school and middle school kids. And I didn't grow up going to church, so it resonates with me. And they're just very authentic and very genuine in how they go about um, you know, spreading the gospel. They're not judgmental. They meet kids where they are. Mm-hmm. And about 20 years ago, uh, the guy who was here locally wanted to build a, put together a bike team to help raise money, so we did that. And from that became some relationships, and the, the person who was the executive director, he and I were talking one day, and I blame him for this conversation, and he blames me for this conversation. But one of us asked the question, have you ever thought about doing a cross-country bike trip? <laughs> and the other one said yes, and then that seed over a couple of years yeah. turned into a, a cycle trip from along wow. Route 66, which goes right through Oklahoma, sure. from Santa Monica through Oklahoma up into Missouri, and we turned to east and ended up in Virginia. And it was a heck of a lot of fun. And we raised money and just had a great time along the way. And in fact, that same guy, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, asked me if I ever thought about hiking Mount Kilimanjaro. Okay. He, is, he and his daughter are doing it. And I leave actually two weeks from this, two weeks today to fly to Africa to hike Kilimanjaro with him. Awesome. So I don't like the guy very much.
2: Fantastic. Yeah,
0: this one's, not a, this one's not meant to be a fundraiser for Young Life, but he's still yeah. involved with Young Life very heavily. Uh-huh. Good. And uh, yeah, it was, awesome. a, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun
1: yeah that's how long did it take
0: it was six weeks of riding so we rode an average of 75 miles a day and i'll tell you what was interesting about it carol it, it's one of those you know how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time yeah right people look at that go how did you do it and again credit to the team here to be able to let me be gone for that amount of time oh. I, mean, I was checking in but um i've got a great deal of confidence and trust in our team they don't need me here all the time i've yeah. tried to work myself out of a job
2: mm-hmm. and
0: so it's like, you know, you get up in the morning, you you do a 15 or 20 mile ride. We had a van that carried our gear with us. So they'd mm-hmm. meet us, give us new, you know, fresh, refresh and some food and water. And then you do another 15 or 20 mile ride and have some lunch you do another 15. And then you've done 75 miles. And then you get up the next day and you do it again, do it again the next day. And we, we would take a break every seven days, but it's amazing. You know, it's that incremental progression towards the, towards a goal. And just, we just, I don't want to say a little bit, but it was a consistent effort every day. And eventually you're halfway across the country and eventually you're putting your, you know, your front wheel in the Atlantic ocean.
2: That's awesome.
0: So it was a good, there's some good business lessons there that the the hard things can't be done immediately. A lot of times you just have to make, you just have to start Mm -hmm. and make steady progress
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just
0: keep going and keep going.
1: Right. So um, if somebody listening to this uh, interview is hearing about your company and thinks, wow, this is, I, I, I'd love to talk to a company like that about, you know, working for them. What should they do?
0: So um, you can reach out to, to me at, at my email or uh, we have a guy, Chris Kettner. I can give you his email address as well. Okay. Oh, we'll go to our website. Our website has our job postings on there. So there's okay. information about the job postings and how to go through the process. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten much better about the recruiting process because we've had to over the last couple of years. But yeah, on our website, phase two online com, mm-hmm. there's a you know uh, a link for how to fill out an application or you know, say that mm-hmm. you're interested in us. And and then that starts mm-hmm. the process of going through and weeding people out. That'd be the best. And we you know, it's interesting the last couple of years, like everybody else, you know, our team now can work for anybody in the or
1: Right. They could allow the anybody yeah. in
0: the country or the world. But mm-hmm. it's much more accepted now. And by extension, so two years ago, you know, all of our team worked in this office, except on Fridays when they could work wherever they wanted to, but they were all local. Mm-hmm. And we now have uh, team members in six different states. They're and, and even the local team, they work remotely. So, you know, they're they're more comfortable working at home than and they can come in the office anytime they want, but mm-hmm. we don't require them to do so. So mm-hmm. again, that onus of our team members are in high demand, and they now the tools and, and the that's cultural right. adoption of working remotely is such that we got to continue the focus on how do we keep those team members engaged. But also, we realize we're competing for talent nationally right now. That's right. And I like that in terms of hey, if we're not good enough to hire our best people or the best fits for us, and what do we got to do to get better? Mm-hmm. And that's that, that's a one part of I mean that's part of that competition. Is like if you're not good enough in this deal, well, what do you got to do to get better? Right. Did you focus on the wrong things? Or are you not doing the right things? And let's use that as an opportunity to improve and again, consistently apply that improvement. But yeah, if you go to our website, there's information about how to apply.
1: Got it. Well, Mark Towler, uh, founder and CEO of Phase 2, I want to thank you for taking time today. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation.
0: I enjoyed it a lot, Carol. I appreciate it. I hope your listeners got something out of it. I sure did. I enjoyed it.
1: Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevationcom slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag